0: Then when you try to throw some speed on top of it, it's like—I it, mean, just—it just—it just works. And I, and I know maybe that's not the most convincing thing when I just say it just works, but I'm telling you, it just works. It just works. <laughs> Diz Runs Radio episode 929 starts in three, two. <laughs> Well, well, here we are back again for another round of You Ask, I Answer. It's time for the monthly listener Q&A episode, March 2021, in the rearview mirror, or at least almost in the rearview mirror, because this obviously comes out the last Friday of each month, so there's still a few more days left in March, at least as the time that the episode gets released, of course. Depending on when you're listening to it, maybe... Maybe a few months have passed since March 2021, but whatever the case, thanks for tuning in. Uh, if this is your first rodeo with these listener Q&A episodes, uh, it's really quite simple. The people ask, I answer, and uh, the best way to get your questions asked, questions featured on future Q&A episodes, if you're so inclined, if you'd like a little, a little something something, I'm not going to promise that this is like good advice. It's advice. Maybe good, maybe not so good. Uh, it's free advice, so you get what you pay for. But uh, the best way to do it is to get over into the Facebook group. Just go to disruns.com slash Facebook, or else the next time you're just cruising around on the Book of Faces, search for the Disruns Tribe, click to join. We'll let you in. And uh, then somewhere in the middle of the month, usually about 10 days before the uh, the episode goes out, so kind of the middle, the middle Wednesday, uh, I put out a post that says, hey, what are your questions for this month's Q&A? And then... Uh, the 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 mob goes to work, asks the questions, and then uh, that gives me a couple weeks to get everything, or it gives me a week and a half to get everything ready to go and uh, answer some questions. And here we are. So, uh, come join the Facebook group. It's a, it's a pretty decent party, if I if I do say so myself. Um, at least as far as Facebook parties go. Let's not kid ourselves. Social media is a thing, um, but I like to think we've created a, a nice little place over on uh, the Book of Faces. Uh, at least a little a nice little running place so come come hang out crack some jokes have some fun and uh, get your questions answered for future Q&A questions or Q&A episodes i guess the 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 questions part is part of the queue whatever uh today we got i think 30 questions something like that we got a bunch so uh who knows how long this is going to be. Hopefully it's a long run situation for you because uh otherwise or or not, you know, press pause halfway through, come back for the next run or when you go to the grocery store, whatever the case might be, but uh we'll we'll dive in and hopefully the voice will hold up and uh you know, we'll we'll wrap it up when we wrap it up and maybe since there are so many questions, I won't be quite as verbose as usual. But let's not let's not write checks we can't cash. Anyway, first question from Chris Short of course, uh, he, he's got a clown. Do I do I get a prize for asking the first question? No. Next question from Jen. Uh, strides, break it down for me. Before or after an easy run, how many, how long benefits? So, strides are one of those things, uh, Jen, that um, I feel like they're kind of one of those things that everybody talks about like they know what they're talking about, but but there's no universal definition. There's no agreed upon, this is what strides necessarily are, outside of the real basics. So strides are typically a short duration, um, not quite full out sprint, but maybe like 5k-ish effort um, that's like super short, 20 seconds, maybe 30 seconds, something like that. Um, Outside of that and even that, you might get some pushback from different folks, different coaches, different different people telling you that, ah, eh, you know, it, it should be a little bit faster, it should be a little bit longer, a little bit shorter. But outside of kind of that, which I think is is semi universally agreed upon, um, I mean, who knows? Who knows? It's 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 anybody's guess out there. So I'll tell you what I consider strides, both for myself and for the folks I work with. Feel free to take what you want and uh, get rid of what doesn't seem to set well for you. So, um, when it comes to strides, so, so again, we're talking uh, a, a pretty decent effort. You know, I, I like to think five k ish, uh, maybe a little bit faster than five k, but it's not it's not an all out sprint. It's not as hard as you can go, anything like that. But it's definitely not just kind of cruising. Like like there should be some effort. You should feel like you're working um, twenty to thirty seconds, something like that, tops. Uh, and be- but because you're working, I you know I, I stress that again. Because the first part of your question there, do it before or after an easy run? Definitely not before. Um, you want to be warmed up a little bit before you get into doing some strides. Okay, so so you want to have um, a, a little bit of, of running done or some type of warm up, whether you're doing some type of dynamics some stuff, some form drills, uh, squats, lunges, whatever. But like like personally, I wouldn't do strides without having already uh, you know gotten at least a mile or two of, of a warm up, just to kind of loosen loosen everything up. Because again, I'm asking you know. If, if I'm doing a stride, I'm asking myself to push a little bit. So I want my body ready to push a little bit. So, so definitely I would recommend not doing strides before a run. Um, as far as after an easy run, I mean, yeah, sure. Personally, I like to do it during an easy run. So, um, I don't do strides very often as you may have noticed if you follow me on Instagram and, and nine times out of 10, my little, uh, you know, accountability post says zero strides, probably 19 times out of 20. It says zero strides. Um, but when I do them, I'll just mix them into a run. So I'll get my my mile mile and a half warm up in, and then I'll do you know like th- usually four or five strides over the course of the the last five miles. So I'll get I'll get a little 20 second burst in and then cruise for a half a mile or three quarters of a mile, something like that, get another 20 second burst in. Um, and then make sure that usually try to wrap it up by about half a mile left in my run or maybe even a full mile left in my run, and then just kind of treat that as just kind of a steady, easy, cool down. Although do you really need to cool down after an easy run? Like you can make that argument, but after doing some strides, I don't want to finish with the, the last stride right at my house. I mean, it probably wouldn't be a problem, but just, you know, I would rather just kind of cruise, cruise home for the last half mile to a mile as opposed to push it. So I'm a, I'm a fan of mixing it in, making it part of your run. Certainly you can do it at the end. You can get your, um, you know, your, your four five, six miles in whatever your two miles, your three miles, whatever your, your easy run in and then cap it off with, um, a few strides at the end—that would be fine. Um, again, you have some coaches that say yes, do it at the end of a run. I say do it as part of your run. Am I right? Am I wrong? You know, I don't know. You—you you be the judge. Um, but but so you have options of when to do them. How many? You have options there as well. I'm a fan of like a few, a handful. Uh, like I said, I, I think typically I end up doing five. I don't know that I've ever done more than five. I've certainly done fewer than five you know, three, two, two, two I, I personally kind of feel like if I'm going to do two, like I might as well do a few more. Like two is kind of like, eh. But there's, you know, nothing wrong with doing a couple of them every day. Like that would be fine. Um, so again, it kind of depends. And and you'll find some people that like have a strict, you need to do four, you need to do eight, you need to do 10. Like, okay. Um, my take on it is I don't want to do so many that it kind of turns into a workout, right? Because even though I'm doing... A short duration, twenty seconds, thirty seconds, something like that. Um, you know, if I if I, if I stack ten of those on top of, you know, even with it with some time in between, if I stack ten of those on top of each other in the same in the same run, um, that's kind of a workout now. And I don't want it to be a workout. I want it to be just a little bit of a burst as part of an easy run that doesn't really cause that much that much physical stress. Um at, at, from doing a hard workout, like a hard workout is going to have physical stress. I mean, an easy run is going to have physical stress too, but it's a lot less, of course. So, you know, I would I wouldn't do too many, three, four, five, something like that. Is, is, and it, and it also probably depends on the duration of your run. And again, whether you're doing them during a the run or after run. Like if you're if your run is a couple miles and then you stack six or eight strides on the end of it, well, all of a sudden it was like a two mile warm up and then you know six or eight short repeats that kind of starts to feel more like a workout. If your, if your run is, you know, easy run is six or eight miles and you're mixing one in every mile. Well, then it's, then the, then the, it, in my view really reduces that, that stress of doing the strides. So, uh, how many kind of depends on you. And I kind of feel like when, as, when I'm coaching folks, it kind of depends on the duration of the run. Those that, that are doing longer, easy runs at various points throughout the week, they might get a few more strides those that are doing shorter. And again, obviously there's no, you know, short, long and short are relative, but at the same time, like if somebody's doing a three mile easy run on a Tuesday and I want them to do some strides, I'm not going to ask them to do five strides as part of a three mile run. Like I'm probably going to ask them to do two or three just to get a couple mixed in there after they get that first mile in to warm up. So how many you get to be the call on that? How long? We already kind of addressed that. What are the benefits? So what are the reasons for doing the strides? Um, the benefits are, are, are really, and, and maybe, the, maybe the benefits is an area that people tend to agree on it as well, uh, but the benefits are that you're getting some good form work, you're getting some good kind of work on, on foot turnover, um, or, or you just, you know, basically you're, you're kind of like practicing running faster without all the excess wear and tear of actually doing a longer, harder workout, right? So you're getting these little bursts, these little tastes of running hard. Improves your running economy, foot turnover, form, uh, some muscle strength and and bone strength types of things as well from just a little bit more intense of work. But because you're not dragging it out for long repeats or a long tempo run or things like that, which again, there's a time and a place for those things, but strides you can kind of do just about as often as you want to, as long as you're not overdoing it, of course, um, without getting a lot of that excess wear and tear. So, so that's the benefit you're getting, you're getting probably, and I'm going to make up numbers here, but let's say, let's say you're getting 75% of the benefit of a speed workout at like, I don't know, 10%, 15% of the like physical stress on your body. So you're getting a pretty good bang for your buck is is in terms of, again, form, turnover, muscle activation, uh, things like that. So you're just kind of giving your body a little bit of a taste, but not too much, and, and then back and back off so that the re- there's really not any excess recovery that goes on as a result of doing some strides. Again, as long as you're not doing too many. If you overdo it, it becomes a workout as opposed to a little bit of form cues and things like that. So uh, I don't know that I can break it down any more than that, Jen. And I don't know that I answered too many of your questions. Um, they're good things to do on occasion. Uh, or, eat, again, consistently is fine too as long as you're not overdoing it and as long as you're keeping them short and tight so that it's not... a, a doesn't turn into a proper workout. Um, so there you go. How's that for a long-winded, relatively vague answer to the first first real question because let's not count shorts nonsense. First real question of this month. But thank you, Jen, for that question. Uh, and hopefully that makes at least a little bit of sense. Uh, next question from Karen. My back muscles tend to bother me more than my legs after or the day after a longer run. What gives? Maybe bad posture? Could be, Karen. Um, although I'm not gonna jump right to that. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna back up just a second, and my first inclination is that perhaps and, and I certainly not don't mean this in an accusatory way, but perhaps you're not doing enough upper body strength work, right? Um, because as, as runners, we think of running as a predominantly as an exclusively lower body activity. because yes, our legs are doing most of the work. However, running is actually, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a whole body exercise. Now it's not working the whole body equally, you know, it's not, and it's certainly, it's not something we think about like swimming or rowing or things like that, that are definitely whole body activities, but it's a whole lot more of a, you know, running works our bodies, our whole bodies a whole lot more than cycling does. You know, you get into the, the, that arrow position on a bike and like your upper body's not doing a whole lot. It's there to support you. I'm not saying that it's not working at all, but everything, everything from you know the, the hips up pretty much locked in place. When you're running, your arms are swinging. You, know, you go for, for a long run, you get 10, 15,000 steps in there. That means your arms have swung back and forth 10, 15,000 times. And so if you don't have some, some level of upper body strength or at least upper body muscular endurance, like yeah the, your upper body is going to be sore especially in your in your back because you get your back is you know moving the arms back or helping to move the move the arms back and forth stabilizing your shoulder blades helping to keep your, your your shoulders back your chest up which is helping to obviously maintain good running form um so so yeah i mean it would make sense that if you're not focusing on that at all not doing any type of of upper body strength training once in a while or just you know day to day types of things that require lifting and, and, and moving and pulling and things like that, um, that your, your upper body could be a little bit of a weak link. And then when you get enough arm swing going on, um, it's going to, it's going to bark at you because those muscles are, are working and they're not accustomed to that much, that much effort that said, could it be form? Could it be bad posture? It certainly could be, you know, if you have poor posture the rest of the day, you know, hunched over, sitting at the computer, sitting at the desk, sitting on the couch, whatever the case might be, kind of hunched and and using the electronics and the keyboards and things like that, Um, that can certainly lead to poor posture, which then when you do get into uh, an upright position, just can add more stress and strain on on various muscles in your back, depending on exactly where the back pain is. Um, So that could be part of it too. But my first inclination was that maybe there's an upper body strength thing going on um and just doing you know even doing some some pushups some some rows some, some just you don't have to do heavy stuff you don't have to do even body weight stuff all the ups, i guess are body weight but you know just doing some upper body activities could be the key to keeping your back from bothering you after these runs and it may even be something that could help your posture if there is a posture issue as well it could be a a double whammy um but in a good way you know, two birds, one stone type of situation. So something to think about, Karen, and, and yeah, if you can mix in a little bit of upper body strength or upper body work once in a while. And I mean, you know, again, other options. Like like we think upper body strength. And I do this too. You think upper body strength and you start to think of like, you know, again, push-ups, pull-ups, rows, things like that with with weights or with equipment. I mean, it could be yoga. It could be Pilates. It could be any of those types of things where you're getting out into like a plank, like a high plank position and holding it, uh, doing different, different, you know, downward dogs and upward dogs and things like that, where, yeah, there's some upper body work that goes on there, even though it doesn't like, doesn't look like quote unquote strength training. So just doing any of those types of, of things may be enough to help you, Karen. I hope it does. Um, I've been there where, where the back really gets angry with me. Um, and, and through some combination of just continuing to train and building the resilience that way. And, and obviously doing a little bit more strength training as well. Um, it's not something that, that bothers me anymore. So hopefully you can get to that point as well, Karen, but thank you for the question and uh, let us know how, how things go as, as hopefully things trend in the right direction. Lesterberg chiming in, trying to think of a real question for a change. Well, you know, better luck next time. Uh, next question from Rob, uh, towards the latter part of my long runs, I can feel leg tightness around the hips and quads. In your opinion, is it more of a lack of a pre-run stretch or would stopping at certain points during the run to stretch help? I'm tinkering with yoga and hoping to improve the situation. I can feel the tightness minimizing my stride. Thanks. So Rob, I, I actually think that you're probably on the right track With what you're doing with some yoga and and just trying to improve range of motion and and loosen up the tight muscles in your hips um, without worrying about the pre run stretch or the mid run stretch so much. Um, And here's why. Uh, And we're going to talk about this a little bit more later because there's some more questions about stretching today, but a pre run stretch. Is, as far as stereotypical stretching where you're you know you're holding a stretch where you're pulling your foot back to uh, you know and pulling your heel towards your tuckus and, and stretching out the front side of your thigh um, and just holding it for 10 20 30 seconds or bending down touching your toes for 10 20 30 seconds like those types of things pre-run there's no benefit in fact there's detriment to running uh, now if you're just running easy probably not but if you're actually going out to like try to push it doing some repeats running a race things like that um there's There's evidence, and without getting too nerdy, there's evidence that that actually decreases muscle power or the ability for, for muscle power generation, which if you're not generating as much power with each with each time your muscles contract with each stride, you're not running as fast. So, um, you know, definitely doing a static stretching before run. No, no bueno. Now, if you're doing, if you're talking about some type of dynamic warm up, whether you're talking leg swings, lunge matrix, any type, there's, there's dozens of different things. So calisthenics, uh, band work. I mean, there's so many different things that you can do to kind of help wake up the hips, loosen up the hips a little bit, loosen up the hip flexors and the glutes and things like that. Those things would all be great. And I would encourage you to do those. Um, But as far as, as your question with it being at the latter part of your long runs, to me, that says it's either a, 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 probably not a muscular endurance thing, although it could be, but more likely just, you know, as you get to the, the later parts of those long runs, like everything starts, everything starts to fatigue, uh, your form probably tweaks a little bit because that happens as we start to fatigue and just that repetitive motion of running helps to cause those muscles to tighten up a little bit. Okay. I mean, that's kind of natural. All right. Um, now the idea of stopping pre-run to stretch, I'm not going to tell you you can't or shouldn't. I'm going to tell you that every single time, well, maybe I better not make that bold of a statement. I'm going to tell you that as many times as I can remember (laughs) that I've stopped to try to stretch something out that felt like it was getting a little bit tight during a run. It only made the situation worse. That's just me. All right. That's, 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 that's only my example. I know some people do that and it does seem to help relieve things a little bit. Every time that I've tried to, every time that in memory, I can't think of any other examples where I've stopped to to stretch out a tight calf or a tight hip flexor or whatever. um, And then had the rest of the run go well. Like it just, for me, that that doesn't seem to work. Maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, Maybe I'm at the point now where when I feel something, I'm like, oh, hell no, I'm not stopping because I don't need to make this problem worse where if I actually stopped and stretch, it would actually help. But I've, I've got this, you know, bad taste in my mouth. So it's just not something I do. That, that's possible. That's possible. Um, but all that to say, you know, try it and see if it seems to help then Hey, you know, that's, that's another tool in the toolbox. If it seems like it makes it worse then maybe not something to, to really consider. Uh, more likely, I think the solution for you, Rob, is just obviously to continue to train, continue to build your base, continue to get stronger, build your endurance. That's going to help. And also just continue to work on minimizing the tightness in your hips in general, you know, by doing some, some yoga, some foam rolling, some things like that. Just the little things. You don't need to be Gumby, right? We don't need to be f- stretch arms strong, but having, you know, f- full range of motion, or at least as close to normal range of motion as possible. It's going to be beneficial. It's going to be beneficial. Um, but the fact that you're saying you're, you're tinkering with yoga and, and, uh, hoping to improve the situation and you feel like it's already minimizing the tightness is minimizing. I think you're on the right track. So just keep on keeping on my friend. And, uh, hopefully things continue to loosen up and it becomes, uh, you know, a, an issue that isn't an issue anymore. It becomes a non-issue, uh, going forward. So thank you for the question, Rob. Next question from Rick. Uh, what are your thoughts on abusing your body prior to surgery, hip surgery that will sideline someone I know for several months. Being himself, obviously, uh, not likely to add miles. It's not likely that added miles would cause more damage. So, should I throw caution to the wind? Oh boy, Rick, this is this is one of those loaded questions because um, I'm certainly not going to tell you to throw caution to the wind, but I'm also going to not not tell you to throw caution to the wind. Um, I think that that there's a few things to definitely consider here. All right, so if if you're gonna you're going to have this this operation, or you're going to have you know whatever treatment, whatever whatever the reason is that you're not going to be running for a while. Um, you're going to have this this surgery. Okay, it's going to happen. And if if continuing to run and push yourself and just kind of grind it out until the date of the surgery isn't going to make the surgery more um, complicated, more invasive. Uh, you know, there's not going to be any fallout from that. And I I don't know that I can think of examples where that would be the case, but just, you know, if, if, if say this is just an example, but if say the issue you have right now, you get the surgery done, uh, pretty, pretty simple and hip surgery is never simple. So this is not a perfect example for you, Rick, but you know, just some type of simple quote unquote, simple surgery, relatively low risk. You know, you're going to be out for six to eight weeks and then you can start progressing back to running again. But if you were to keep going, all of a sudden that, that smaller issue that we're hoping to correct with this with operation in six to eight weeks has the potential of becoming a bigger issue, that now it's going to be a four to six month recovery option because the surgery is going to become a bigger deal, well, then then I wouldn't do it. Now it doesn't sound like that's the situation for you, but I you know, gotta cover my bases for, for anybody who's might be listening and being like, oh yeah, well hell, like just throw ca-. he said he said not to throw ca- he said to not not throw caution to the wind. So, you know, in that situation I wouldn't do it. Now, if it's a situation where, you know, you might develop some type of niggle, some type of itis, some type of compensation thing because your hip's a little wonky and you're gonna get it fixed, but because you're trying to favor your hip a little bit, now the, the knee on the other side, maybe you get some IT band issues or something like that going on. Um, I mean, probably while the hip recovers, the IT band issue is going to probably recover too, right? So it's probably not like that. Probably wouldn't be the biggest concern. Um. So yeah, I mean, I yeah, again, I I don't know that I have I, I I'm not I'm I do know that I'm not going to make a definitive statement one way or the other, um. But I can see both sides of it. And as long as, as continuing to push and run and, and do whatever isn't going to have any negative impacts on the outlook of your surgery and isn't going to make situations you know appreciably worse to where all of a sudden this you know surgery is going to become more complicated, like I said. Um, I mean, personally, I'd probably roll the dice. Probably. Um, doesn't mean that's a recommendation. But, you know. I understand so you know choose choose your choose your battles pick your pick your poison um your mileage may vary on this one but you know do what you got to do i guess or do what you want to do because you're going to have the surgery one way or the other so you know you know thanks for the question rick and hope that uh hope you get that surgery done soon and that recovery can go as smoothly and as quickly as possible next question from the great white north brian asks what are your thoughts on the 10% rule for building mileage. Is it based on good science or do you consider it a one size fits all generality? So uh, yeah, I I would definitely not classify the 10% rule as good science. That's that's definitely you know where I would stand on that. Um, although I don't know that I would class it as a one size fits all generality either. I mean, it's probably more that, but I think maybe somewhere in the middle between really good science and just some one size fits all drivel that, that isn't, applicable to most people anyway, is maybe like a rule of thumb or maybe like a rule of the wrist for those of you that know. Um, but I I think that, I think that the 10% quote unquote rule is definitely more of a, of a rule of a thumb rule of the wrist type of situation than straight science or just a one size fits all adage. And here's why I think that for, for some folks, especially maybe Maybe like newer ish runners um, or less experienced runners, the ten percent rule is is great because it it helps keep you in check right It helps prevent you from doing too much too quickly and helps to minimize the risk of some of those overuse common injuries that that we see we see in in veteran runners, but we certainly see maybe a higher percentage. And newer folks who get bit by the running bug, they want to run all the time, and then all of a sudden plantar fasciitis, or all of a sudden shin splints, or all of a sudden knee issues. Um, and and the reason that the ten percent rule can be can be good in that situation is that you're starting off with you know a, a fairly conservative running plan, um, and as as you feel like you want to progress, we got to remember that our bodies need time to adapt to the the wear and tear, the pounding, the repetitive motion, things like that. Um, and that's where doing too much too quickly can get you in trouble. So you progress consistently, gradually, slowly, things like that. Um, and all of a sudden, like, you know, it just, it just allows your body a little bit of time to, to adapt and, and to get stronger and to hopefully become more resilient to injuries. But if you've been running for a while and you're ready to climb the ladder a little bit, I mean, 10% maybe is, maybe is too, is quite frankly, maybe is too quickly Maybe it's not, maybe it's too conservative. It could be both. You know, if, I, if I'm running 50 miles a week and then I'm looking to, to add, you know, 10%, that's five miles a week. Like that's kind of a, depending on where I'm putting those miles, that's kind of a decent chunk. If I'm going to add all five of those miles to to one run um, or if I'm going to add them to, uh, you know, an extra day, if I'm doing five mile or 50 miles a week at running five days, I'm like, all right, well, I want to add a six day and now adding an, an extra extra day of five miles like it's probably not a problem but it could be you know so maybe in that situation you want to do like the five percent rule for a couple weeks and then bump it up and then bump it up you know but at the same time if you're running 10 miles a week and you're looking to to train for a marathon like by following the 10 percent rule over the course of a 16-week training plan like you're not going to be there so then that's where you got to be a little bit more aggressive than that so again, rule of the wrist, rule of the thumb. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's where the 10% rule falls. It's a good guideline, but it's certainly not hard and fast. And the more experienced you are, the more I think you can color outside the lines on that one because your body is, 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 has already adapted. Your body's used to the pounding. It's used to the wear and tear. So you can, you can throw a little bit more at it. And hopefully you're also, because you're more of an experienced runner, you're better at, at listening to your body. You're better at heating the warning signs. If something feels a little bit off, hopefully you're a little bit better at, at doing some of the little things and, and prioritizing some recovery aspects to help make sure that you're going to throw, you know, a 20% increase not week after week, but maybe a, a one week, 20% boost. You know, you're going to throw some, some other things at it to help mitigate that extra stress, help the recovery process to go, then maybe restabilize your base at that higher level. Um, in that type of situation. So yeah, it's a, it's a rule of thumb, which I think rides the fence between good science and one size fits all. So thanks for the question, Brian. Hope all that made sense. Uh, next question from the also white North, but not quite the great white North, not quite Canada from New Hampshire. Uh, Carrie asks my Achilles tendon gets really tight running uphill. It's already tight to begin with sometimes AKA all the time on steep sections. I get to the point that I need to walk it out because it gets unbearably tight is there a foot strike I should be aiming for to curb that tightness? Great, great question, Kerry. Um, and quite frankly, the answer is no. Um, like when it comes to running uphill, uphill running is, I would make the, I think you could make a pretty valid argument that it's the hardest thing on your calf, Achilles tendon, posterior, lower leg area, Right. Because when you're running uphill, obviously you know, you know what a hill looks like, all right? So, so that means that, that as you're going through the running motion, like not just how your foot strikes the ground, but the entire cycle of your foot hits the ground, it pushes back behind you, comes back up, hits again, you know, the, the, the entire running motion, um, you're asking your, your heel to drop potentially significantly lower than it does when you're running on flat ground. Because when your when your foot hits the ground on, on a flat surface, you know y- your heel can only drop to the level of the ground, so it can it, at most go to like zero degrees. Let's just say whether you heel striking, forefoot striking, whatever the case might be, the the lowest you know your your foot can only go flat. When you're running uphill, you know and I don't know what the the grade is. It's it's three percent. It's six percent. Whatever. But your your foot when it finally drops down to the lowest level or at least the lowest level that it can go because of tightness in your calf and your Achilles tendon and whatnot, it's probably going to be below zero degrees, right? Because your, your forefoot, whenever it gets to the ground, whether it hits first or whether it it hits second, your forefoot gets to the ground and then your, your heel starts to drop, which starts the loading phase and and builds up tension in in your Achilles and your calf, which helps you spring forward, which I mean, that's beneficial. But when that happens, instead of hitting at zero degrees and kind of starting to to push back, it's got to drop even farther. And either it hits the ground or it doesn't, but it's dropping back below zero. That's an incredible load. That's an incredible eccentric load on your muscle. Um, and that's tough. That's hard on hard on the calf muscles, hard on the Achilles tendon. Um, and so, yeah, it's going to get tight. And especially the steeper you go, the more the, the, more the grade is, the harder it's going to be because the, there's more stress and strain on the calf and the Achilles tendon. So it's not a foot strike issue. It's just a, it's a physics issue. It's a it's an anatomy issue. It's a it's a it's the way your your body works issue. Um so I think that if you're going to try to keep running, you know, maybe maybe shortening your stride might help because you're not going to be overstriding as much. Um but odds are, like if it's that steep and things are that tight, like walking is just like that's what's going to have to happen. And uh I always attribute this quote to Sage Kennedy. And I honestly I'm not entirely sure. I I'm confident it's him, but I'm not entirely sure it is, but Somebody in the early days of the podcast, and I think it was Sage, gave this Sage piece of wisdom, which maybe that's why I I, I linked it to. You, that if you can walk as fast up a hill as you can run up it, you're foolish to run. You should just walk. And it sounds if your hill is that steep and your calf is that tight, Carrie, it sounds like you're kind of in that situation where trying to run, you're just you're just using more energy for no real appreciable gain. So in that situation like you're probably better off not only from a not beat up your calf as much situation, but also from an energy conservation standpoint for later in the race, just shift it into low gear and power hike up that joker, you know, just power hike it up it. where you're, where you're definitely engaging a lot more glutes and a lot more of, of the bigger muscles in your body than, than your calf and your Achilles to power you up. And then once you get up or at least past the steepest part, then you can shift back into your running gait and be good to go. So I wouldn't worry about how your foot strikes on the hill. I just worry about, hey, maybe it's maybe it's time to just power hike it and not worry about trying to run when it's that bad. Follow-up question from Kerry. Oh, and do you want to run a Spartan? No, I do not. Next question from Katie. Uh, I'm looking into hydration vests. I have a handheld, which works fine, but I feel I need more water, especially for runs over 10 miles. Any suggestions? So I'm biased here, and I'll admit to my bias. I'm, a, I'm an orange mud ambassador I'm, I'm a member of the dirt unit from orange mud which they, they make uh they make in my opinion like i'm gonna say in my opinion the best packs out there in all honesty the only packs i've ever worn are, are orange mud packs so i can't i can't comment on any of the other companies out there that i'm sure are great And i know people are, are big fans of other other options uh but i'm a fan of of orange mud uh, i have a i i don't use the ones that have the the bladder with the hose um because as I may or may not have said before, I'm not the biggest germaphobe, but when I see like funk growing in the in the tube, like that does kind of not set right with me. So I have the, the packs that have bottles on the back. I have a single barrel, which has one bottle, the double barrel, which has two bottles, uh, because I can take the bottles out and wash them, you know, just throw them in the, in the dishwasher. That's pretty easy to do. Um, so that's why I've just opted for those. But Um, orange mud, in my opinion, great quality. Uh, this stuff holds up it lasts. It it doesn't break down. You pay for it. I mean, it's, they're not cheap, but mine, mine are, I mean, they might have a little bit of a funk smell to them, but they, they look just as good. And they might be a little bit stained, you know, from sweat and dirt and grime. But as far as there's no fraying, there's nothing tearing apart, no, no issues. Um, and I've had, you know, I've had them for, for years and I wear, I wear one of them pretty much either the single or double, depending on how, how hot it is, uh, pretty much every single long run, no issues there. Um, so I would, I would, the only hydration vest pack situation that I can recommend from use is orange mud. Um, and I do have a 15% off code. If you want, if you want it, Katie, if you haven't ordered something yet, uh, if you look into orange mud and you think that, yes, this is what I want, uh, let me know. They've asked me not to like widely broadcast it on the podcast. But if somebody has a specific question or asked for a specific recommendation, I can give it to you specifically. So happy to give you, uh, again, they're expensive. So 15% isn't nothing, but it's still not going to be cheap, but it is a fact. It is a matter of, in my view, you get what you pay for and you get, get one of them and you probably will never have to, to replace it. Um, unless you really just crush it for, for years and years and years, in which case you have gotten your money's worth anyway. So hope that helps Katie. But yeah, definitely carrying water with you. Um, is, is it's worth it as far as I'm concerned, even on race day, something that I I do now. And I don't even think twice about it anymore. So thank you for the question. Uh, Kara things to do when sidelined. So, uh, obviously as runners, like we want to run and if we can't, for some reason, it kind of sucks, right? So how do you, how do you keep, uh, keep things on track? How do you keep your, your, your wits about you? Uh, when you can't run, obviously, easier said than done, and, and obviously, Kara, it depends on what your situation is as far as can you not run because of injury. What's the injury? And, and I think that sometimes it's it's easy, and I'm, I'm I do this, so I'm I'm certainly no uh, uh, I'm certainly not immune to this situation. You st- it's easy to focus on what you can't do. Oh hell, I can't run. This sucks. Blah 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 blah. And it does. And I'm not trying to dismiss those thoughts, right? If I had an injury where I couldn't run. I'd be pissy and grumpy and all those types of things and probably focused on the fact I can't run. But if you can try to focus on what you can do, you know, if you've got, if you've got, uh, uh, an issue with, you know, with your knee and you can't run because your, your knee has something going on with it. Well, can you bike? Can you swim? Can you walk? Can you hike? Um, can you get on the rowing machine? Can you do all of the above? Like, like from an exercise standpoint, what can you do that doesn't irritate your knee, make the problem worse, whatever the situation is. Um, if those types of things are, are, if none of those are on the table, you know, can you roll it? Like, like, again, focus on what you can do. Can you do some yoga? Can you do some Pilates? Can you do, you know, whatever as far as exercise goes? Can you, do, you like focus on what you can do, find different options, maybe explore something that you've never tried before in terms of, again, of rollerblading or, um, or getting on the elliptical or, or whatever, you know, but focus on what you can do. If you can't do any type of, of those types of things, you know, what can you do upper body? Can you do some weights? Can you do some strength training? Can you get you know, I know there's there's kettlebell routines on YouTube that are all, you know, sitting in a chair for reasons that you can't use your legs, you know, surgeries, things like that. Um, so d- just building the upper body strength, building core strength. You know, what can you do? Focus on those types of things. Um, outside of the physical, you know, maybe if you can't run a whole lot right now and you're kinda going stir crazy, it's like again, what kind of things can you do that? maybe you just haven't ever made time or haven't recently made time for as far as old, old hobbies, uh, things that are interested in things you've always wanted to do, but you've never made the time for. Um, so for me, that's like working on puzzles again. Um, you know, working on a language, working on a guitar, uh, maybe doing some house projects. Eventually maybe I'll start painting the house again. Although heaven help me if I, if I can't run and have to paint my house, that would be a bad, that'd be a toxic situation. Um, uh, but you know, just doing, doing some, you know, trying to stay busy. I guess, right? Idle hands are the devil's whatever. There's a saying somewhere in there. Um, but but just trying to find ways to stay busy, keep yourself engaged, reading some more books, writing a book, you know, wh- whatever. What, whatever things you can do uh, and hopefully things will, will you know, continue to, to make progress and you'll be able to get back at it relatively soon. Um, but, but as cliche as it sounds, and I'm not, I try not to be the, the king of cliches, but as cliche as it sounds, focus on what you can do and, and try not to focus as much on what you can't do. And then hopefully, you'll be able to do the things you can't do again soon. that makes sense. Thanks for the question, Kara. Next question from Kenton. Thoughts on running Virtual Boston this year? Um, I have two thoughts on Virtual Boston. Um, one, if you want to do it, go for it. Awesome. I think it's great. I think all these, all the the people, the Boston purists that are pissing and moaning because all these people that haven't qualified have the opportunity to run a virtual Boston. Like I think they they are ridiculous. My other thought is that I'm not doing it, um, and it, and, it, and I'm sure it has something to do with Boston, and, and obviously my my um, my goal of qualifying for Boston and running the race, you know, in Boston at some point um, that I've made, you know, that I've talked about on, on at least a few occasions. I'm sure there's something to do with it as far as that goes. Um, but, but honestly, I mean, I think there's a lot to do with just the fact that like, I'm not into really running virtual races, um, especially virtual marathons. Uh, it's just, it just doesn't really do it for me. And it really never has. I mean, it really hasn't at all in the past year. I've done some virtual races, but typically they're like the very much the philanthropic ones. And I'm sure that there's a philanthropic component to the virtual Boston. I'm I'm sure that there probably is, um, but it's just not, it's not something that excites me. Like the idea of just going out and running 26 miles through town to get a a Boston medal. Um, just to say, I got one like eh. to, to me, it's no thanks. And again, if you have any interest at all, if you're thinking about it, I'm all aboard. I, I, there's no, there's no part of me that's, that's, that's on that whole bandwagon of like, well, if you can't qualify, you shouldn't be able to run the Boston virtual either. Like go home, like stop. Um, if you want to do it, do it. um, just not for me. Just not for me. Mostly because it's the virtual thing. But again, I'd be I'd be probably lying if I said there wasn't a little bit of it that wasn't part of it like my goal is to show up and run Boston, not run Boston through the streets of Lakeland. But if moral of the story, if you want to do it, do it. Have fun. Don't apologize for it. Don't let all those the crybabies that are, you know, that have been trying to get in and they can't and and again, like I'm not I don't want to make it out like I'm making them out to be bad people. Uh, but I just heard so many people that are like, oh, it's not not fair that just anybody can run it uh, virtually. Well, like, why why is that not fair? Like, who cares? I, I don't get it is the moral of that story. So if you want to do it, do it. Have fun with it. Post that freaking Boston Marathon medal, that virtual medal when you get it, when, we, you know, when, you, when you've earned it, post it in the group. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, but it's just not my thing. Not my thing. So thanks for the question, Kenton. Uh, next one from Heather. Could you talk about Hypervolt slash Theragun devices? How are these used for recovery? So um, first of all, I can talk about them, but I have no experience using them, Heather. So this is, this is all kind of anecdotal, all kind of like what I figure is kind of going on. Um, not what I figure is going on. Like I know what's going on. So these, these, these devices, these, these massage guns, if you will, um, they're just like a, a form of deep tissue massage right? It's, it's percussion massage. Uh, you, you put it over typically over fleshy areas. So over your glutes, over your hamstrings, your quads, areas where you've got these big, thick muscles and just turn the joker on. And it just, it just jackhammers into your, into your flesh, right? Into your muscle gets a little bit of a deeper, deeper tissue massage. I mean, mean, that's really what it is. It's it's a form of deep tissue massage. Um, you know, but it's just, I mean, that's what it is. You could go to a massage therapist and get a deep tissue massage. You get a theragun and get a deep tissue massage. You get a foam roller and not get as deep of a tissue massage. That's more of a superficial massage. All right. So so at the end of the day, it's just a it's just a form of massage. It's certainly a little bit different, but there's, you know, I mean, let's let's not split too many hairs here. Uh, that's that's ultimately what's going on. It helps to to improve blood flow. It helps to break up adhesions and, and restrictions within the muscle. Um but that that's what massage does. And that's why massage can be a beneficial tool for recovery because it helps to bring stimulate more blood flow, bring in new blood in carrying out waste products and, 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 you know, just stuff that kind of builds up in the muscle itself, especially after, after a good hard run or workout or even easy runs, things like that. I mean, it's just all part of the physiological process of training. Um, so it brings blood in, takes blood out, uh, breaks up adhesions, breaks up, you know, stiff muscles and things like that. Um, it's a, it's a massage situation is, is what those things are. Um, you know, and are they expensive? Yeah. Yeah, they are. Um, that said, you know, if you're going to get a a deep tissue massage every month or every, every couple months, like it doesn't take long for that to pay for itself in terms of the, the hypervolt. So then you can make the argument that maybe the, the, the massage gun, you know, is more cost effective than getting regular massages. I, I don't know. It's that's for you to decide, but that's what they are. That's what they're used for. Um, I've never used one. I'm not opposed to it. I'm just cheap, um, but I'm sure at some point I'll get one. Uh, it just hasn't happened yet. Um, but that's that's the story as far as I know it. So thanks for the question, Heather. Hope hope that helps. And if you get one, let us know and let me let me know how you like it for sure. Uh, next from Thessaly. Here we go. Calling me out. Calling me out. Book and guitar updates, please. Yeah. I got nothing on really on either front. Uh, haven't done anything on the book in the last month, which is pathetic. Um, and I, I mean, I've, I've barely dabbled on the guitar in the last month, other than I posted that video uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago now, um, showing me dabbling, loosely dabbling on a handful of songs. I thought I had covered like most of the songs. Then after I finished, I was like, gosh, there's like four or five of my like songs that I'm actually, maybe the closer to, to being decent at that I didn't play, but you know, whatever. Uh, it, it was already long enough. I didn't need to bore y'all anymore with my terrible guitar playingness. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've picked it up a couple times this month, but really haven't no new songs, no real progress made on any of the songs that I've been working on. So yeah, no real updates on either front. Uh, another question from Thessaly, it's less than 100 days until the U S track trials. Do you have any favorite events? So this is a, this should be a simple question. Thessaly. It's a very, very loaded question for me Um, because I absolutely have favorite events. The problem is my favorite events are rarely, if ever, well, some of, some of my favorite events are shown on, on the TV coverage, but not much. Right. Um, and, and if I'm going to be real honest, like all the random like vignettes and stories and, and feel good pieces that they do, I don't need any of that nonsense. I just want to watch the the track meet. Um, but I get the logistical problem that like the, the track trials, it's like a three or four day event that ultimately, you know, they show it for two hours on NBC one Saturday and that's, and that's it. Right. Um, and, and they're mixing in a lot of, of pre-taped stuff with like one or two live events. Uh, and that's, and that's it. So it's never going to be as good as kind of being there watching the whole thing. Um, but that said, my, my favorite events that you won't see, but maybe one or two, like the, the highlight, the winner of, of the events would be like the triple jump, the long jump. Um, and I think the reason that those two are like my favorite events is that when I was at middle Tennessee state working with the track and cross country team, we had really good jumpers. So I was often at events watching my jumpers and just watching them crush. Um, and so I kind of got, uh, developed a soft spot in my heart for the, the long jump and the triple jump. Um, and maybe, just maybe, actually understand a little bit of the technique and how to excel in those events more so than, you know, certainly any of the other field events. Just because we had a good coach, uh, a coach that was actually in the Olympics uh, for, for the triple jump, uh, national champion at the University of Alabama back in the day, uh, I think in the triple, maybe in the long, he competed at both, uh, but he's just, just an awesome guy, uh, great jumper. Um, and so, like, I would hear him coaching our, our jumpers, and kind of picked up on how you want to land, what the form is, like all those types of things, right? So like those two events are probably my, my favorite to watch at a track meet. You you count how many jumps you'll see on the coverage. You'll see one or two, one or two at most of just like the winners, the people that qualify. Maybe they'll show that the people that qualified their their best jump, that's it. But like just the excitement, the, the, the uh, feeling around the pits, uh, I like those events a lot. Um, as far as running events, <laughs> when it comes to like the, the trials, when it comes to high level track distance track running, it's kind of boring to me. Um, because 99 times out of a hundred, those races are nothing more than just a sit and kick fest, right? Like, like everybody at the, by the time you get to the finals of the, of the, the 1500, by the time you get to the finals of the 5k, uh, the 10k on the track, like those, those men and women are are beasts they're clearly you know twice as fast as i am right but maybe not quite twice as fast but they're you know they're they're lapping me over the course of a 5k on the track without without question every single one of them um but but to me it's not like i don't know it's it's just elite racing it's it's different than than how we race where we race we're like pushing ourselves trying to do the best we can when they're racing they're racing each other And it's not so much the time on the clock that matters in in the trials, right? It's, it's who finishes one, two, and three, because you get to go to the Olympics by finishing one, two, and three. So everybody starts off for the first, you know, three quarters of the race or so. And it's just one big pack. They're all just kind of running together. Nobody makes any moves because nobody wants to, to make the move that then costs them a chance to go to the Olympics. So it just becomes whoever can run the fastest, you know, 400 to 600 meters at the end of a race. And it's just not, I mean, the last 400 to 600 meters is exciting but the race itself is just kind of like, eh, kind of boring, just sit and kick. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I don't care, like, not that I don't care, but they're just not that interesting to me. Um, the, the track events that I do enjoy are the ones that you can't do that for, you know, are, are the, the, the hundred meter dash, the 200 meter dash, uh, the 400 meter dash and the, the hurdle events, you know, the, 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 100 for the women, the 110 highs for the men, and then the 400 meter hurdles. Like those events, you can't, you can't try to sit and kick, you can't try to coast, you can't try to conserve energy, especially in the finals. Uh, You got to just go, and it's the best, you know, it's the fastest men, the fastest women on that day, punch their ticket, period. No strategy, no, no, none of that nonsense that that can really get in the way in the longer events. It's just go. And, you know, it's go from the time the gun sounds, to the time you break the tape, and there's not a lot of time in there to, to screw around, which is probably why, I, which is why they just have to go, which is why I like them so much. So, uh, those are, those are the events that I really dig. Um, I also like the, the steeplechase, which does kind of get into that longer distance type of thing, but it's, it, that, that pack spreads out a little bit quicker because of the the barriers and because of the water pit. Um, so it's, that's a little bit of a different, it's a lot of bit of a different beast than, you know, your 5k or your 10k uh, so that one's an exciting one too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll probably watch it. Ideally I'll watch like the live stream and s- totally skip all the nonsense TV coverage that just doesn't work for me. And it's the same thing I'll do for the Olympics. Although watching the Olympic live stream will be difficult since it's in Japan, which means it'll be in the middle of the night here, which, yeah, that's, that's, a that's a hurdle I'll have to cross. <laughs> See what I did there? Um, when it's, when it's go time, but, uh, thanks for the, the question, Thessaly. And, uh, she adds a little treadmill tip. I've been watching uh, footage slash meets from, from years past on YouTube. And it's such a great way to run faster and move and spend time on the treadmill. No, it's not. There's no, there's nothing good about spending time on the treadmill. Tesla, you're not going to convince me otherwise. Uh, Um, but thank you for the questions as always. Next one, next one, next one. Check, check. Apparently next question from Chris Murner. uh, after an extended break from running prolonged injury like mine, or even just taking a break, what is your best advice for gradually returning with patience and tempering frustration or comparison to old data. Um, that's that's the key right there, Chris. And I don't know that there's a best way to do it. Um, you just kind of have to be willing to uh, not look back at the past, not think about what you used to be able to do, and just focus on where you are right now. You know, focusing on, um, you know, today's goal is to run whatever it is. It's a half a mile, or it's to run a mile, or to do, uh, you know, one-minute, run four minute walk or whatever it is like focus on where you are right now and, and trust that at some point you'll get back to where you were, right? You'll get back to where you were before injury. You'll get back to where you were before you took your break for whatever reason. Um, that, the that, that, that your body will adapt. Your body will come back. Your, your fitness will come back. I guess your body's there. Your fitness will come back, but it's not going to be quick. It's not going to be overnight. Depending on how long you've been out, the circumstances, the situation, it could be it could be quite a while, but it'll happen. It'll happen. Your body doesn't forget how to run, but but obviously you, you know if you've been out for a while, you've lost some fitness, you've lost some some form. Um, you know you, you you have work to do. So just work on just focus on doing the work. Try not to look at past times. Try not to look at past data. Try not to to even think about. Oh God, I used to be able to run 10 miles and now I can't even run one. Like, and I know that's hard to do. I know it's almost impossible to do, but as much as you can just block all that, that noise out and just focus on the here and now and maybe focus on just the recent past. Six months ago, I couldn't run at all. Six months ago, I was in a, in a cast and on crutches and now I'm walking for 30 minutes. So that's progress. And 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 just kind of keep keep your your hindsight real short. Keep your eyes on the prize ahead. Uh, and then, you know, at some point, if you want to start comparing back when you're when you're when you're back, then maybe you can compare back and use that as motivation to go, all right. Well now I'm running at, at eleven minute pace, but back then I was running at nine thirty pace. So now I'm gonna to try to get back get all the way back to there. That's fine. But in the early stages, no 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 no. In the early stages, just focus on the here and now and what the next step of the process is. Easier said than done. Totally understand that. But if you keep looking back at at what you used to be able to do or what previous paces or things like that, man, you'll, you'll drive yourself crazy. And, uh, ain't nobody got time for that, especially when you're coming back to running after a long break. So, uh, it's going to be good, Chris. It's going to be good, but one step at a time, one step at a time. Next question from Neil. If you had to have some Girl Scout cookies, what would you choose? Um, I have some issues with Girl Scout cookies these days. Uh, because the cookies get smaller, the number of cookies in the box also is on the decline. Yet the price keeps going up. And I also have a problem with how the Girl Scout cookies are sold these days, and that the girls aren't selling the cookies anymore. And not so much this year. This year was an anomaly. But in years past, you know, you go, I'd go to the grocery store, and there'd be moms sitting out there selling cookies for their kids. Hey, you want to buy some Girl Scout cookies? No. If 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 the neighbor. Girl Scout comes to my door. I'll buy some Girl Scout cookies. If mom is trying to sell me Girl Scout no. Mom ain't getting the, the, the merit badge, right? So if you, if you sell Girl Scout cookies for your kid, I mean, it's, I guess it's not, I guess it's kind of a personal attack, but it's not. But I feel like you're missing the point there somewhere. Like, I feel like the, the point is for the kids to develop the, the, the skills to get over the fear of talking to people, uh, handling money. Doing that type of thing, and when when you know when you when you take the the Girl Scout cookie order form to the office and just say, "Hey, who wants Girl Scout cookies?" I feel like I feel like you know I feel like it's kind of missing the point. But anyway, neither here nor there. If I had to choose some Girl Scout cookies, what would you choose? I mean, it's, it's not even a choice. Thin mints all day in the freezer, good to go. Take them out of the freezer, mmm, mmm, mm, mmm, thin mints, absolutely. Dosey uh, dos and tagalongs close second and third. Samoas. Fourth, uh, Samoas used to be great when they were, you know, like not the size of a freaking silver dollar when they were actually like the size of a cookie. Um, but again, the, the, the shrinkage of the Samoas, um, is just ridiculous, just ridiculous. So, uh, those are, those are the only four Girl Scout cookies, in my opinion, worth eating. Um, I don't know, maybe there's some new ones that might be worth eating, but those, those are the four tried and true, uh, but Thin Mints head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, just stick stick that Joker in the freezer, have one or two here and there. It's good stuff. That is good stuff. Next question from Sharon: What are your thoughts on running a marathon or more distance every month for, say, a year? Any tips on injury prevention if I end up taking on a challenge like this? So, um, yeah, Sharon, I guess I have some thoughts because I did this in 2019, and uh, it was it was a year. You know, um, it was it was good. I think it, I think it helped me take a step forward as a runner, as far as just building endurance, and and um, I think that, that by the end of the year. I wasn't even close to quote unquote afraid of the marathon distance anymore. Um, I think I ran in 2014. I think I ran 14 either marathons or 50 Ks. I think I ran t- did I run two 50 Ks. I ran two 50 Ks that year. Um, at a couple months where I ran two marathons and I had one month where I, I missed it because I was kind of had a little niggle that I didn't want to do anything foolish with. Um, uh, but I think I ran, ended up with 14 marathons or longer that year. Um, by the end of the year, I was over the idea of running marathons just for the sake of running marathons through town. Like that was the biggest struggle. Uh, I think that if, uh, if I it was, was able to, or was willing to like fork out for a proper race every month, it would have been no, no factor at all. You know, even like a small local trail race, things like that would have been better than just, you know, leaving from the house and running for five hours and then getting back home. Um, you know, like that, that part of it kind of got, like the, the mental fatigue I think was, was worse than, than anything physical. Um, but if you're going to do it, you know, tips on before I get to that, so thoughts on it, it's not something that I plan to do again. Um, but it definitely gave me confidence that like I can throw down 26 miles, um, uh, pretty much any time, And as long as I'm keeping my, my, you know, kind of base mileage up, um, even if I'm not doing quite as, as, you know, consistent long runs of 20 plus miles. Um, I'm still pretty confident that I can like, I'm not going to go out and PR if I wanted to run a marathon tomorrow, but I could go out and run 26 miles tomorrow and come through it. Okay. Like, so I I think that that as a runner, it did help me. Um, But if you, if you're going to do it, I I think that that the big thing of course is to, to build up intelligently. So if, if that's a, if that's a goal that you're going to have, don't just like launch it today and think that, all right, I'm going to start next month. If you haven't already been running consistently enough to get to that point, you know Uh, if, if you're not, pretty close to being ready to run a marathon right now. And it didn't have to be a PR marathon, but to just be able to run 26 miles, um, you know, give yourself that much time. So maybe you set the goal starting, you know, July to July, you know, it's ju- starting July here, finishing it June of 2022. Um, so that gives you a few months to build up to that point. Um, so that would be one. I think that, that you know, it's it's important to be realistic in that, like I had to take a month where I didn't run a marathon. I didn't want to, but I also didn't want to like turn something that was like a little kind of niggly thing into something that was going to definitely sideline me for two months. So be willing to, to pull the plug if you need to. Um, you know, don't, don't make it a hell or high water issue. Make it a, this is my goal. But if after three months I can't do it for one month, you can still get back on track. You can still, you can still end up running 11 out of 12 months. That's still a pretty darn good 12 month window for running marathons. Right. Um, I think that if you can find races, that's helpful, just from the motivation standpoint. Running one or two through town or through through your 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 area may not be a bad thing, but if you're going to try to do that ten times, whew, that that speaking from experience can become a pretty big mental obstacle. Uh, I would recommend not doing them on the treadmill, despite what Thessaly thinks about how great it is to to watch you know Olympic trials on the on the treadmill. Um, I did one of those for a fundraiser. Uh, raise some money which was nice but god that was that was bleh, that was that was not a great day i mean it was it was a great day but that was not a fun experience um, so i would avoid that if possible um but yeah i mean it, it, ultimately it's something that you need to want to do uh if it's something that it sounds like it would be a fun challenge for you go for it just make sure you're prepared well in advance make sure you're recovering after each of the races um even if you're not racing you know make sure you're giving yourself a few days a week whatever you need to just kind of allow your body to recover, feel good again, then get back to training. Um, and, and, and mostly just have fun with it. That's, that's the key. Mostly have fun with it. So good luck. And if you decide to do it, Sharon, let us, let us know and keep us posted. All right. Um, I think we're, I don't know, maybe we're halfway. Maybe we're more than halfway. We're, we're over an hour. So hopefully we're, we're at least more than halfway. Uh, next question from Melody. Is there any truth to the idea that you should train to be fast first and then work on endurance? The premise is that to endure longer, fast runs, you need to develop your ability to run fast. Ooh, boy. Um, Melody, I love you. You know that. I'm not sure if you're setting me up to just rant here uh, or, or what the deal is. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be calm. But from where I sit as a coach, from where I sit, from the, the studying I've done of, of physiology, of, of running science... Um, everything about this idea is backwards to me. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where you heard this or who the source was, but it does. And, and maybe, maybe the, the, the exception to the, this quote unquote rule, or maybe the reason that this would work would be if you're talking like elite people, like elite, elite, fastest of the fast on the 5k that then work on building the endurance to run fast at the marathon and and compete at the Olympics compete on the world stage maybe I still would struggle with that but maybe but for for you know a schlub like me everything about this is 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 flies counter to what I believe which may not be a surprise since I'm you know Mr. Hartwright guy right um but but the fact of the matter is that for for Somebody like me, somebody like most of us, most of y'all that are listening, um, you know, we have the speed that we have is faster, like is, is going to run out. What am I trying to say here? It, the the speed that you have, isn't the limiting factor at the longer races, right? It's, that's not the, that's not the problem. The problem is your endurance, so, so, you know, let's, let's just throw some numbers at the wall, right? Like, let's say you go out and run a mile in eight minutes. Like that's like top speed, full out. You can go for eight minutes and run a mile. Awesome. Training you to run a little bit faster to where you could run that mile in 745 isn't going to help you to run five miles at eight minute pace, right? What you got to do is build the endurance so that you can run faster for eight, for, 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 Five miles, and lo and behold, as you build that endurance, your speed's gonna gonna linger. It's, you're gonna be able to, to run faster longer. So, it, But as I say that, like like again, I can kind of see the, the some of the logic here, where uh, in theory, if you're building fitness, building speed at at, at, at building speed first. It's going to help you to run faster, longer, because you're not running at as high of a speed. So, like, it, it kind of goes round and round. But from an injury prevention standpoint, from a health standpoint, um, from a physiology standpoint, I just can't get around the idea of, like, build your endurance. Build your base. I mean, how? like, I'm all about building the base, right? Build your base. And then this the speed shows up. The speed's there. The speed comes out right? If, if you can, if you can build your endurance, if you can, if you can get stronger or longer, then when you try to throw some speed on top of it, it's like, I mean, just, it just, it just works. And And I know maybe that's not the most convincing thing when I just say it just works, but I'm telling you, it just works. It just works. Uh, and so, so yeah, I mean, I like, I'm probably not making any sense. I'm Probably just sound like I'm a blabbering idiot, which, you know, surprise, surprise. Um, but Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't say anything positive about the idea that like us as, as non elite runners, I can't even begin to think that we should focus on speed first before building endurance. Like, no, I mean, I guess, yes, if you want to be injured, if you want a higher chance of injury, go for it. If you want to run and be healthy for years, which is certainly my goal work, work on your endurance, throw in a little speed stuff once in a while and and, and you'll be just fine. It'll be just fine. So, whew. all right. Thank you for the question, Melody. Not sure again, if you're trolling me or not, but it's a good question, but it's just, I mean, I can't, I can't get on board that work on speed first. Like that's, I mean, it's what sometimes what we do, but if you, if you know the science or if you understand kind of long-term thinking, like, yeah, no, build the endurance first. Next question from the other half of the, uh, the melody in Chris household. Chris asks, what is your preferred way to calculate your heart rate zones? I've seen it calculated by prevent percentage of max heart rate percentage of lactate threshold and some crazy math related to percentage of heart rate reserve. I mean, <laughs> I guess either I'm a simple creature. I'm lazy or both. Uh, because I, I, am a math guy. Like I like math, but when it comes to heart rate for me, there's like, there's two zones. There's, I'm running in the, I'm running easy enough to be aerobic and I'm running hard enough that I'm not aerobic. Like that's it. There is no zone one, zone two, zone three, zone four, zone five. Like there's, there's the, the yes zone and the no zone for an easy run. Um, and if I'm doing a workout, there's, there's the yes zone, which means I'm running hard. And then there's the no zone, which means I'm not running hard enough to be hard. Um, and for me, it's just you know, it's, it's the mafetone formula. It's 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 one eighty minus your age, uh, with a, with a couple little variations based on fitness and and injury history and things like that. You know, sometimes you can add a, add a few beats, sometimes you have to subtract a few beats uh, to kind of customize it a little bit more to to your particular situation. Um, but but that's it. You know, like like if if you want to have six different zones, like I mean, whatever, go for it. What ultimately ends up happening when you start calculating all these different zones is you usually have like, there's usually a zone that's right about at 180 minus your age, right? Like there's, there's that zone that separates you from aerobic to to anaerobic. Um, typically like that's the upper end of zone two, maybe the very, very bottom edge of zone three, but some usually pretty close might not be perfect, but it's pretty close. And then you're just, then, then to me, you're just splitting hairs. Well, there's, there's zone one, which is kind of low end of the aerobic zone. And there's zone two, which is like, you know, kind of the higher end of the aerobic zone, but it's just, it's still aerobic zone. Right. And then there's zone three, which is like kind of tempo-ish pace, but it's definitely an anaerobic level. Uh, and then there's like zone four and zone five, which are like higher level repeats. Well, okay. But like, whatever, it's still just anaerobic. Um, so yeah, I just have two zones and that makes it real easy to set up your watch because it just, it just beeps at me when I go over 141 um, and then I slow down problem solved. So yeah, you know, if you, I, I know, and I know you don't like to do things the simple way, Chris. So, you know, whatever, go with, go with the crazy math one, I guess, like, whatever, I don't care. Uh, but to me, <laughs> 180 minus your age done and dusted. And then, you know, if you, if you're, if you, if you, if you meet the criteria to add a couple beats and Hey, you can even go a little bit, a little bit harder and it's all good. Or you got to back it off a little bit. That's all, all good too. It uh, keeps you where you want to be. It keeps me where I want to be. You do, you do what you got to do, my man. Uh, next three, the, 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 the the traditional Trump, whoa, there's a, there's a tongue twister. Apparently the traditional Tom trifecta every month. It seems like Tom chimes in with, with three, three questions of varying degrees of, uh, ridiculousness. Usually there's a serious question. Then there's kind of a moderate one. And then there's a nonsense one. And and yet again, Tom comes through uh, first question, kind of the serious one. I am planning on running the Buffalo marathon in May. This will be an urban course with parentheses too many turns. Um, what is your strategy for dealing with a lot of turns in a long race? I do not really want to run 27 miles that day. So Tom, I, I wish, I wish I could give you a good strategy that, that is going to guarantee that you're going to run, you know, 26.2 or 26.3 or something like that for your first marathon. Uh, but I can't, I can't because it's not, that's not how it works, right? The more, the more twists and turns there are, the, the higher the likelihood is, the almost near certainty it becomes that you're going to veer off the tangent line once in a while, right? Because the tangent line is like the, 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 the line that they certify the course with. It's the absolute shortest possible route to get from the start line to the finish line, no matter how many twists and turns and flips and, and, and things like that that you go through. It's the shortest line possible. But when you put however many thousand people out there that are also running the same day with you, it's impossible to run that shortest line for the entire duration, right? Because there's other people there. You're bobbing and weaving a little bit. You got other folks that are, that are on the, on the line. So you got to go around them, whatever the case might be. It's just not going to happen. So my, my strategy is to one, don't get it out of your head that you're going to not run extra that day. I don't know that I've ever run a marathon, even the ones that are fairly, fairly straightforward, um, where you don't end up with like 26.3 somehow. Like, it's just, it's just what happens. Like, if I, get, if I finish a marathon at 26.3, I'm like, damn, I did pretty good. Uh, you know, like like uh, Marine Corps uh, in 2019, I think I was at, like, I think I might have been at 27 that day because there's twists and turns and there's just a lot of people. It's just, it's just what happens. So, you know, accept the fact that you're going to run longer than 26.2. Uh, don't turn your watch off at 26.2 because that doesn't count. It's when you get to the finish line. But it's going to be a little bit longer than 26.2. As far as trying not to have any more mileage added on than you have to, um, keep your eyes ahead. You know, if you're not paying attention, it's pretty easy to wind up, especially if there's lots of twists and turns, you know, Oh, you're on the inside of this turn, which is where you want to be. You know, the the inner line or kind of that, that tangent line. Um, but then if there's, you know, a block later, the turns going the other way and you're not paying attention, then all of a sudden you find yourself on the outer turn. Well, you just added, you know, a hundredth of a mile. You do that 50 times and now you added half a mile, Right. Um, so just kind of pay attention so you can kind of cut, you know, cutting, like not cutting the course, but like cutting through the crowd, cutting, you know, from, from this turn to that turn, especially if it's like an S turn, like make it a straight line instead of any, any weaving through that turn, uh, those types of things. So it's just, it just kind of comes down to watching what's ahead of you trying to be in the right position. Of course, making sure that you're also not cutting other people off. You know, you got to be courteous out there, um, Maybe that means not trying to run as fast as you might want to, because if you get behind some slower people, you know, if you start bobbing and weaving, or you get into a congested area of the course where you're bobbing and weaving, you're going to add miles that way. So it's all part of the the, the game. Um, it's all part of the strategy. But my my thought is just look ahead, try to try to keep the 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 the, the most A to B, you know, line possible. But it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be perfect, and and that's just that's just the nature of road running. And I mean, it's the nature of trail running too, but the, the roads, especially urban city environments, like that's just, that's just what happens. That's just, it's, it's a bummer, but it's just what happens. So good luck for you uh, at the race, Tom. Uh, next question. Uh, next to Tom's question. What is your favorite running shoe these days? Um, this was actually a tougher question than it probably should have been because I, 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 like, I feel like the shoes I have right now, I mean, I like them. I I, I suppose that they're my favorites because I wear, I have... So so I, I'm predominantly running these days in a pair of Ultra Escalante 2s, which are an older model. Um I think they're the twos. They might be 1.5s. In any event, I've had them for a minute. Um and I don't I, I don't track miles very well with my shoes, but I think that each of these two shoes, each of these two pairs of shoes that I don't have like a strict rotation in, but I usually wear both of them at least once throughout the week. And, you know, some weeks I wear one of the pairs. Some weeks I wear the red pair a bit more often. Some weeks I wear the gray pair a bit more often. Uh, But I wear them both each week for sure. Um, Like back of the napkin math on it. Like I think that those shoes probably have somewhere in the neighborhood of like 800 to like 1,200 miles on them a piece. Um, And they're still going just fine, you know? Like, like... So I guess that makes them my favorite because they're the ones I wear pretty much every day and they're not causing me any problems and they fit good and they, you know, they feel good. Um, but I don't know that you can get it. Like there's been like an iteration or two since then. And I'm not sure I like the iterations of the, the Escalantes that have come out since then. Um, so, so yeah, those, that's what I'm wearing. I don't know if they're my, I mean, I, they're my favorites that I have cause I wear them all the time. Um, uh, but if I were to get new shoes, I don't know that I would if I could find them, I guess I'd probably get another pair, but so I guess that makes them a, yes, that's my favorite. The, the ultra Escalante twos, I think 2.0s, uh, a couple years old. If you can find them, they're great shoes. The newer ones, a little bit, not so great as far as I'm concerned. Um, but they clearly, they last pretty well because they have a lot of miles on them and they're still going, they're still going well. They're still, I'm still not ready to replace either of them yet. So, you know, there's that, which for me, that's, that's a big part of why they're my favorites. Because they just they just hold up and they just they just continue to work. So that's it. That's that's the answer. Uh, last of Tom's question, his Tom Foolery question, if you will. Uh, would you eat multiple Cadbury eggs every day if you could then expertly play any DMB song on your guitar? Ooh. Like, so here's where we have to, to define some terms, I think. If you say multiple Cadbury eggs every day. Does that mean like every day from now until Easter? Does that mean every day from now until I expire? Does that mean, does multiple mean two? or Does multiple mean like five or seven? Like, like the short answer is no. The short answer is absolutely not. I wouldn't eat one Cadbury egg once. I'd probably eat one Cadbury egg once to to have, to become a virtuoso. But outside of that, like, no. Uh, but then it also comes down to can I play any good, any DMBs like as far as I can play the entire catalog anytime I want to? or do I just get to pick one song as far as I can play I can pick any song and I can play that song expertly, but not necessarily the rest of them. Um, but also, you know, I, and I mentioned earlier about how I'm not a big cliche guy, but I mean, I guess this is kind of a cliche too. Like part of the fun, I think, is the fact that like it's challenge. It's work. like I'm I, I'm trying to develop a new skill to be able to play these songs, right? So like just having that, that magic wand of like, all of a sudden you could do it. Like, like, I don't think I would want that. I think I'd rather have the magic wand for something else. I think there's probably better things you could tempt me with for multiple Cadbury eggs a day that would, that would be more enticing to me than, than playing the, like, I feel like that's one of those where the struggle is the reward type of situation, like getting a little stoic there. But like, like that's, that's what I enjoy about trying to play the songs on the guitar is that I can't play the songs on the guitar. But I'm, I see progress, you know. Um, it's a it's a tomfoolery question, but at the same time, it's like there's there's some depth there, and 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 Cadbury eggs are disgusting. That's the other takeaway from that question. I don't know why you all try to poison me with these nonsense candies. Good, goodness gracious, send me some some send me some Reese's uh, eggs in the mail, and now now we can be friends again. But it's Cadbury eggs, ugh goodness. Next question from Barb. How about some tips on running in the rain? I really resist running on the road in the rain. Uh, road spray and wet feet are reasons enough for me to opt for the treadmill. So first and foremost, Barb, uh, you know, I mean, if, if you don't like running in the rain, like don't, you know, here's a tip, don't do it. You know, if, if you're, if you're okay with running on the treadmill versus running in the rain, I mean, you know, like you do you, I'm not okay with that trade, but that's, that's just me, you know, and that's, and that's fine. If that works for you, Go for it. Because if you're going to run on the rain, you're, you're, you're going to get wet. Like your feet are going to get wet. If you're running near a, some type of road where there's lots of traffic, like you're going to get some, some spray from the, the traffic on the road. Uh, those are just, those are just the, the facts of life. You know, if you're running out in the middle of the day in the sunshine, like you're going to, you're going to have some sun, you know, some sun tan, some sunburn type of issues. Some, 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 some tan lines, maybe some burn lines. Like that's just, that's just part of the equation, right? If you're running in the rain, you're going to have wet feet. Part of the equation. That said, if you are going to do it, I mean, do it. Lean into it. Like I enjoy it when I am when I am running in the rain when it's like pouring outside. Like I am that you know four year old kid again. That's like, oh, there is a puddle. I am going to go out of my way. I am going to I am going to run. Not I am going to not run the tangent. Like like Tom's going to do at, at Buffalo. I am going to like go out of my way to go splash through that puddle and maybe jump up and down in it once or twice and just just splash and act like a damn fool because I am running in the rain. So who cares, right? So like, make it fun, make it enjoyable. That said, if it's forty degrees and raining. That's not fun nor enjoyable unless it's race day. Then you don't have a choice. But like on those days, I'm taking a day off. If it's the summertime rain, hot, and you get this nice little break from the, the, the heat and humidity of the day to get some rain, like, Oh, that's fantastic. So a hot rain, fun, a cold rain, misery. Um, your feet are going to get wet. You're going to get wet. If it's actually raining, uh, definitely wear a hat or a visor or something with a, with a, with a brim on it, which may seem ridiculous because you don't need to block the sun, but I'll tell you what it does a great job of helping to keep the, the water out of your eyes. You're still going to get some water in your eyes, but it's not going to just be streaming down your face. Right? So that's, that's, that's definitely a tip. Um, and then as far as wet shoes go, drying your shoes, uh, maybe this needs to be a best of ish episode at some point. Um, but dry them in front of your refrigerator. All right. Like I know you can put it, they, they, they say, whoever they are, they say you can put your running shoes in the dryer, no factor. Like, eh, I don't know. I don't trust it. I mean, maybe it would be fine, but it's, it's if nothing else it's just loud and annoying when you're, you're running, you are running shoes are boom 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 through the dryer. So just take them off, turn them sideways and stick them right underneath you rock fans. You understand what I did there? Turn them sideways and stick them right underneath the grate or right in front of the grate of your refrigerator. Right? Because what happens then is that that, that warm dry air comes out of the the refrigerator exhaust and it goes it pumps it into your shoes. And those jokers are dry at least overnight, you know, sometimes even quicker than that, depending on how wet they are. Like if you've got standing water in your shoes, like maybe, maybe pour that out first, you know, take the insole out because that's going to be like a sponge, take that out and maybe throw that in the dryer, at least set that separately so it can dry on its own. Um, but the shoe itself would be bone dry in the morning, you know? Um, so there's, there's my tips, wear a hat and dry your shoes with your refrigerator. Um, and have fun and have fun because that's, that's, you know, and, and other tip If you chafe when it's not raining, you will chafe more when it rains. If you don't chafe when it's not raining, you will chafe when it rains. So be maybe on the lookout for some, some good skin lube, something like that, and apply it liberally to anywhere where you might have problems. For me, it's like my thighs are always good unless it's raining and then they're not so good. So apply it to the inner thighs a little bit, uh, or any other areas where chafing might be an issue for you, uh, because that rain, that rain gets you, that rain gets you. Uh, but thank you. Uh, for the question, Barb. Hope that helps. Hope you don't have too many instances where running in the rain is a necessity for you if it's not something that you enjoy. Um, Next question from Kim, all about stretching. Should I do it before the run, after the run? Not at all. Recovery tools, Hypervolt, Theragun, foam rolling. Uh, kind Kind of this is an amalgamation question, Kim, of things we've already talked about today. So hopefully I can answer it pseudo quickly, but also make sure to get in a little more depth than we did some other places. So stretching before a run, no. Kind of already talked about that with, with Rob's question a little bit, uh, but static stretching before a run is not a good idea. Do a dynamic warm up instead. So you still get in some range of motion. You might get some leg swings, things like that, which still, still a little bit stretchy-ish, but it's not that static holding a stretch situation. That's not good for you before a run. After the run, it's, it's not necessarily required, but it's a great time to do it. Your muscles are warm. It can be a great part of your cool down routine. Um, great time to stretch and great time to do the static stretching, holding your your heel back behind your your, your backside to stretch your quad bending down forward towards your toes to stretch your, your hamstrings, getting your foot propped up on a step to stretch your calves. All that great things to do as part of a cool down. It's not required, but that's the that's probably the time when stretching is is most beneficial in terms of helping to lengthen out the muscles because they're warm. Um, when it comes to improving range of motion via stretching, not that this is a specific thing you asked, uh, Kim, but you asked all about stretching, so I guess it kind of is. Um, the more the merrier, meaning one session of 20 minute stretching is not as beneficial as I don't know, three sessions of, of five to six minutes piece. If you're doing that in a day, you're better off doing three, five minute sessions than one 20 minute session because you're, you're stretching the, the muscles, um, that is just that repetitive action of stretching is going to lead you to more results. It's going to help the muscles to loosen up and to be, to be uh, a little bit more in an elongated state than that one time, because your muscles are basically like a big, thick rubber bands. And so if you just stretch one rubber band and then don't stretch it again for a day or two, it, it kind of goes back to its normal state, right? But if you're constantly stretching that rubber band or at least consistently, the more consistently you stretch the rubber band, the more those, those, those elastics within the rubber band start to loosen up same thing with your muscles. You stretch them one time and then don't come back to it for another couple of days. Like you might see a little bit of progress, but it's minimal. If you're stretching multiple times a day, even for short segments, but multiple times a day, it's that repetitive stretch that will help to ultimately lengthen the muscles out. So something to think about if you're trying to become more flexible as a result of stretching, uh, last but not least part of your question, recovery tools. Um, I mean, they're all, they're all great. I and mean, we kind of touched on it earlier with, Oh gosh, I can't remember who asked the question about, um, the hypervolt. Now I'm going to have to scroll back up and, and find, so I can, I can give the proper, proper recognition to Heather. Heather asked the question about the massage guns earlier. I mean, they're, they're, they're good in theory, uh, to, to increase, um, you know, blood flow, which helps with recovery to help break up uh, adhesions and, and stickiness within the muscle tissue itself. Um, and they, they work differently. You know, the, the deeper ones like the, the hypervolt and the Theragun, they go deeper into the tissue foam roller stick. um, are, are a little bit more, uh, superficial. Then you can get like a massage ball, something like that, that kind of digs in a little bit more too. kind of a little bit of both. It's, it's not the percussion situation of the, of the hypervolt, uh, because it's not going boom, 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 boom. It's just kind of digging in, but it gets a little bit deeper. So, you know, they each have their different kind of areas that they work better on. Um, so it's kind of one of those where I'm not saying you have to have all the different tools, but the more tools you have, the more you can kind of spec, the more specificity you can get with, with some of your recovery protocols that you're able to do. Uh you're just able to hit things from different angles. Um but I think that the that, that the foam roller for me is is pretty much my go to. Get on the massage ball once in a while, get on the roll recovery very once in a while. Um one of these days I'll get a hypervolt, but it's just like I said earlier, not not something that I'm really worried about right now. So they they're they're good though, but like any tool, they're only as good if you're using them for the right times and actually using them. So my foam roller when it's set in the corner doesn't doesn't help me very much as opposed to when I'm actually using it, which I don't do as much as I should. So hope all that makes a little bit of sense, Kim. And if you have more specific questions on it, let me know. Whew, goodness gracious. The voice is starting to go We're an hour and 25 minutes in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, like still like eight or nine questions to go. Whew, it's a long one, y'all. It's a long one. That's what she said. Anyway, <laughs> had to, had to. Uh, next question from Gordon. At the end of your interview podcasts, you always manage to end your commentary exactly with the music. Practice? Coincidence? Magic? Oh, man, Gordon. Um, I wish, I wish that I could say it was practice and that I've just got the timing so well figured out, but clearly that's not the case. Um, yeah, it's magic, all right. It's the magic of editing right? When I, when I finish these jokers up, uh, then I take, then I take the, the, the sound file that has a little music bit and line it up so that it cuts off right, right when I cut off. And then it does that last little bit of bant at the end and we're good to go. I just slide it back and forth in garage band and make sure it all lines up. So, uh, yeah, you know, you, you now know how that part of the sausage gets made. Uh, but just definitely, definitely no practice, definitely no coincidence, definitely just the magic of editing. Um, I don't edit much, but that is one thing that gets, that, that we try to get lined up every single time. So thank you for the question, my friend. Uh, next one from Lindsay, favorite Peloton instructors. Ooh, that's a, That's a loaded question because I feel like I could get in trouble for not naming people's favorite instructors, right? Like, like apparently that's a thing. I'm not involved in any of the Peloton communities. Thank the Lord. Cause I hear they're nothing but drama. But you know, I hear like, if you, if you go in and say, Oh, I don't like so-and-so's classes, like people just destroy you. Uh, but here's the, here's the, the deal with me when it comes to Peloton. If I'm, if I'm doing a Peloton ride, if I'm doing a something on the bike with the Peloton, um, I am 100% choosing the class based on the duration. Of course, like I'm, you know, if I'm going to do 20 minutes, I'm gonna do 20 minutes. If I to do 60 minutes, I'm gonna do 60 minutes. I'm not gonna do three 20 minute classes. Cause that's just ridiculous, but I'm gonna do, you know, what, what duration am I looking for and what's the music playlist? That's it. That's what matters. Um, Now, obviously there's, there's certain instructors that tend to play music. That's more likely to be in my style. So I'm more likely to choose them. Um, and then the one issue that I run into once in a while is I'll pick, I'll pick somebody once or twice because they have good playlists, but then they don't ever shut their daggum mouth during the whole fricking ride. They talk the whole time. So I can't really hear the music. And then I'm just like, well, screw this. I'm never taking your rides again because you don't shut your fricking mouth and let the music play. Might be a bold opinion, but it's my opinion. Um, and I don't have the fancy bike where I can turn the, the volume down and whatnot. Like that doesn't happen on the, on the iPhone app it does happen on the computer when I use the, the laptop, but I can't set that up on the bike. So it doesn't work as well that way. So, um, so yeah, so my favorite instructors on the bike, um, and, and this isn't necessarily the exclusive list, but like, I like Dennis's rides, uh, some of Cody's rides, Alex's rides, Jen Sherman's rides, uh, just King's rides, uh, Christine's rides. Um, Emma has some good ones. Um, who else? I don't know. There's a few others that I'm, that I'm probably missing. Hannah every once in a while has a good, has a good rider too. Um, but those are, those are the most people I'm most likely to ride with because they're the ones that most likely have music that I enjoy. And it's not across the board. Like I don't take every one of any of their rides. I'm selective because I don't, I don't ride to the music that much. So when I do it better be, better be some good jams. Um, you know, when it comes to other things, as far as, as strength training, I'm open to any of the instructors. Again, it, it sort of comes down to music and also sort of comes down to what the workouts are. Um, but I like, I mean, shoot Jess Sims. She's an ass kicker. No matter like there's never been a, a workout that I've done of hers that I haven't been like, Oh God, like ai i I'm, I'm sore during, and I know I'm going to be sore two days from now. It doesn't matter what kind of weights we use, what kind of body parts we're using. She just gets after it. Uh, so she's great. Uh, but I like, you know, uh, I like, uh, um, Andy's stuff. Uh, uh, chases stuff. Um, pretty much, but again, pretty much anybody is, is good for me depending on again, duration and then body parts. And then music plays a little bit of a factor into it, but I'm usually doing like 10 minute lifts. So like, it doesn't matter that much. The music, um, on the yoga mat, huh, Um, I like Dennis's yoga stuff. He's, he's so different on the yoga mat versus on the bike. Um, and I also like Anna and Kristen and Aditi. um, Especially when they do some of the musical, like the, the more musical genre stuff. Like Kristen had a Guns and Roses yoga that was awesome. Um, Ross, I like Ross, but gosh, he's just he just he does a little bit of the too much talking thing for me sometimes. So I don't tend to take his yoga classes, but I like his meditations. So you know, there's that. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm pretty eclectic when it comes to my Peloton instructors. Uh, it just kind of depends on who's doing what. Um, but I'll take just about anybody's class on the strength training stuff. Um, and on the bike, it just, you know, don't talk too much and I'll take your class. If your music playlist is good. So there's that, uh, next question from Chris, my 20 year old daughter took up running a year ago. How do I convince her not to wait for me on race day? Once we start, uh, you know, I wanted to go ahead and go, we can find each other after the race. So, I mean, honestly, that's just one of those, those questions, those conversations that just has to happen beforehand. Um, you know, like, like she could it. If she wants to go out and run and push the pace, like let her go, I mean, which, which clearly isn't something that you're struggling with. Something that maybe she's struggling with, but just tell her, Hey, like, like I want you to, to, to have fun. I want you to go out and push yourself. If that's, if that's what she wants to do, I mean, maybe, maybe, and maybe there's a bit of me hoping that, you know, 15 years from now when Addison's 20, 21 years old, like maybe this would be part of, of if she's going to be a runner at that point, that would be part of her life of like, maybe she, maybe your daughter wants to run with you, Chris. Like, I'm not saying that that, that it's impossible. I'm not saying it's guaranteed, but maybe part of her taking up running is to spend more time with you. And so if you're going to have, you know, you're going to go run a race together, uh, maybe to her, she doesn't care about PRs or running fast. If she could be, be easily running faster than you, maybe she just wants to go out and run with you. So just have the conversation is the moral of the story. Figure out, you know, like, hey, like make sure it's clear to her that like, you're totally okay with her leaving you at the start of the race and going and and racing ahead and finishing and when when you finish, y'all can line up and you know got to to brunch together or or you know once she's 21 have a beer together like whatever or maybe you have a beer in the car and you can she can have one when she's 22 she's 20 as well if that's cool like whatever i'm not here to be the that you can't drink before you're 21 police because lord knows there are a few a few beverages consumed by me before i was 21 um but but you know like like let her know that you're cool with it that you're totally fine with it but if she's like no dad i just want to run with you then just be like, cool. Like let's run together then, and enjoy it. And you know, maybe you're talking and having fun and, and, and doing that type of thing instead of her racing it, which is okay too. Which is okay too. So just make sure y'all are on the same page, you know, let her know that you're cool with it. But if she wants to run with you, I mean, I, I don't think I'd have to tw- twist your arm. Right. I, I know. Like I said, I know in 15 years, you're not gonna have to twist my arm. If Addison's like, dad, can we just run a race together? Yes. Yes, we can. And that'd be awesome. So, uh, enjoy it. Enjoy those miles. And that's, that's. Certainly something that uh, that i 'm trying not to to push Addison in that direction, but boy it'd be pretty awesome if, in ten or fifteen years, she wants to run races with me um, i 'd be very much okay with that, very much okay with that so uh, lucky man, Chris, lucky man, enjoy it uh, next question block of questions from Mona the the traditional you know we got the, the traditional Tom trifecta. And we've got uh I don't know I don't have as as good of an alliteration title here but you got Mona's usual block of questions as well we got I think four four this time from Mona first one have you tried the cold showers yet uh, I am loving mine uh, I mean I've I've done a few of them Mona but it's not like a routine part yet it's not something that I've really gotten gotten into into just yet uh, still still figuring it probably will happen at some point um, but haven't gotten the nerve just yet keep I'll keep you posted. Uh, Next question. I feel like I know the answer to this one, but maybe you have a different suggestion for speed interval days. What's the minimum time or intervals I need to do in terms of counting it as a speed run. Please give me a number. I am a very good student. They are not easy. You're right. They're not easy. If they're not easy, you're doing them correctly. Uh, But I'm going to have a hard time giving you a specific number. I'll do my best, but, but when it comes to speed work, intervals, repeats, whatever you want to call it, hard workouts in general, um, there's, there is no magic, like minimum number right? There's no minimum distance. Like, like, you know, you can make an argument. We talked about strides earlier, like, like being real short distance. Like you really have to stack a bunch of them together to t- turn into a workout. So you're not going to want to do something that short, but you're also in strides. You're not running all out. So you could do short intervals. You could do like one minute, even 30 seconds probably. But if you're like blasting hard, if you're going as close to hundred percent as possible, like that's, that's the workout. That's beneficial. You're going to, you're going to feel it. It's going to be hard. You're going to get benefits from it. You're going to be sore afterwards. So like that could work, but you could do a minute, two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. I mean, you like, like you can do all kinds of different intervals. You can do a quarter mile, half mile, three quarters of a mile. You can do a ladder. So you start at like quarter mile, half mile, mile, then back down. I mean, you can, you can do all kinds of different options there. Um, the real thing to consider, the real thing to keep in mind is that there's a magic distance or duration that you have to get. It's, it's syncing up your effort to the distance. So, you know, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you to do 400 meters. I'm going to tell you to do a quarter of a mile, Mona, because it's somewhat easy. It's easy to track with your watch. Um, you know, depending on, on where you live, you might be able to find some landmarks, whatever, but 400 meters isn't magical. Like there's not, there's no, no reason that's better than anything else. It's just an easier number. Um, but what you want to do when you're running your 400 meters is be pushing the effort to a point where you could go maybe 450 meters at that maintaining that effort you want to be able to continue on maybe not even that far maybe 420 meters you want to be able to continue on just a little bit longer than necessary at that same level of effort before you would you know crash and burn um, but not so much that you could keep going and, and extend it out even you know significantly farther because then you weren't pushing hard enough but you don't want to you don't want to blow up at 350 meters of your 400 meter repeats right so then, so so you just want to make sure that your effort is is commiserate with the distance. So if you're doing only a, a one-minute repeat, you're probably going to be pushing a little bit harder than you'd be pushing if you're running at two-minute repeats. At least you should be because you're running longer or running shorter. If you're doing five-minute repeats, you'd probably want to be pushing the effort not quite as hard as you would at two minutes or one minute because you've got to maintain that effort for five minutes versus two or one. Now, when it comes to, you start throwing paces in there, that can throw things off because one day's pace and tomorrow's pace don't necessarily mean that the effort was different. The pace could be different, but the effort could be the same. So, so just base it on your effort. Try to run hard enough that you don't have much left in the tank when you get to the end of the repeat, but not so hard that you can't make it to the end of the repeat. If that makes sense. So, do your 400 meter repeats. There you go. I'll be a, try to give you a, a specific number, um, but just please don't feel like 400 meters is magical. It's a good one, but so is 800. So is 200. So is four minutes. So it was one minute, you know, there's, there's all kinds of options out there, but line up your effort. That's the key. That's the key. Uh, next question from Mona. What are your thoughts on amino acids after or before a workout liquid or pills? Do you ever take it? I'm trying the pills because I keep hearing that BCAAs are really crucial to one's recovery. Honestly, I'm not sure if I feel the difference and they are not cheap. Uh, my thoughts on all that stuff is that uh, I don't want to say that there's, there's nothing behind it. Okay. Because obviously nutrition and nutrient timing, like, like there's, there's a lot of science that goes into those things to optimize recovery and performance and yada, yada, yada. That said, I feel like, and I, I don't have necessarily like specific studies to, to support this, but this is kind of what makes sense to me that those things matter a lot more. in like the, you know, 1% of the 1% than they do in the, the rest of the 99.9% of us. Right. Like, like the fact that, that, I don't refuel with with some type of, you know, perfect blend of protein and carbohydrate and fats and BCAAs uh, after a run. Like that might have, you know, reduced the effectiveness of my run by like 0.001%. But like, that's fine. I'm okay with that. Like my body knows how to recover. My body knows how to, to fuel itself using, you know, body fat stores or using, you know, whatever is I'm mixing in with my coffee or things like that. Like it's fine. Um, so like I don't take any BCAAs. Um, I never really have, uh, although I do, I do take some protein now, um, that I think has some like amino acids in it, but it's like, but I don't take it as part of recovery. Like, like I'll have the protein as like dessert. If I'm still hungry after dinner, like I have a little protein shake. Like that's, that's what, like I use it as, as, um, kind of like extra calories, extra protein, um, not to like make sure I have a shake right after my, my run to help with recovery. So all that to say, I'm not, I'm not exactly a believer. Uh, I don't waste my, I don't spend my money on that stuff. Um, because like you said, they're not cheap. If you're feeling like they're helping you, great. If not, I mean, I'm not going to tell you you shouldn't take them or you can't take them, but you know, I don't take them for whatever that's worth. May not be worth anything, but that's, that's where I stand. Um, so, you know, you do you on that front. Uh, last of Mona's questions, when is the best time to visit Disney in Florida? Will you and Rebecca come see me and my family? I will buy you lunch. Yeah, of course. Second part of the question, of course we'll come see you. Of course we'll come. Like, like we're, we're always up for an excuse to go to Disney. Now um, That said, our passes, there's certain times we can't go because we get, to, like, the cheap local people's, people's pass. Um, so if you come in the summertime, we can't go to the park. We can meet you come to come to the hotel or something like that. Uh, but we can't we can't come to the parks. But if you come when we can go to the park, we'll absolutely come to the park and see you guys. Um, and you don't even necessarily have to buy us lunch, although I'm not going to tell you you can't. Uh, that's for sure. Um, but as far as the best time to come visit, um, obviously everybody there's first and foremost like there's never there's never a time when it's not busy, right? There's busy and then there's busier, but it's never not busy. So so you know there's no good time a year to come when you're in, you're going to feel like you have the place to yourself. Um, that said, in my opinion, the best times to come are like from mid-October until like the 1st of December with the exception of um, Thanksgiving week. And if there's if there's a wine and dine race, don't come that weekend because those weekends are a little bit busier because Thanksgiving, people are on vacation. Wine and dine, people are, are in town for the race. So it's a little bit crazier. Um, but especially in November, especially from November 1st to November 30th, save for wine and dine race weekend and Thanksgiving race weekend, those are great times to come because the weather's pretty decent. It's not going to be cold, certainly, but it's not going to be hot as blazes, typically. Um, and everything's starting to be decorated for for Christmas at that time. So you get extra Christmas type of stuff, Christmas performances. Um, there's, there's like some extra things that start to happen around that time of year um, that you don't have to pay anything extra for. It's just all part of the, the situation. Uh, but that can be a fun time to come and see those types of things. Um, and even into October, well, then you have more Halloween type of stuff decorated, um, which is which can be fun too. A little bit warmer, um, but it, but the t- the reason those times are are good is that there's not a whole lot of like school vacations going on. So a lot of the kids are in school, parents are working. Like it's just not a big time where things are crazy from that perspective. Same thing if you look from like February to like the middle of March, because once you start getting to the second half of March into April, you start running to spring break time. It's a little crazier. But February to the middle of March, save for princess marathon weekend or princess half marathon weekend. Um, pretty good. I mean, you don't have the Christmas stuff at that time, obviously, but it's, it's pretty decent temperatures. Uh, not too crowded because kids are in school. You haven't got to spring break yet, but we just got out of Christmas break. So there's, you know, there's no reason to take the kids out of school just yet. Um, that said, if you've got kids that you can't take out of school, those are tough times to come. So as a local, those are our, our favorite times to go. The weather's good. It's not super crowded. Even when the locals all show up on the weekends, it's still not super, super crowded. Um, so that's, that's kind of our go-to time. Summer times are brutal. Like the parks are open longer, but it's hot and it's crowded. Um, and then obviously any, any type of holiday time, everybody comes on the holidays. So uh, those, are, those are some great times, um, but it's going to be busy. It's going to be busy no matter what. But let us know when you come. We'll come see you. And if you want, I would probably say that I'd, I'd be willing to make the trip up one morning bright and early or dark and early to uh, maybe get a run in with you if you're if you're so inclined to get a run while you're while you're in town so uh let us know but yeah we definitely come see you uh last two questions one from Michaela what do you do when you're bored I have been I've been doing all the things I can think of virtual races real races that are quote that are uh, in-person running races uh changing scenery and I don't really want to run so how does one break out of a funk so it sounds like Michaela you're doing all of the things that are logical and that that Various things help various people. You're doing all the all the suggestions that I would give you in terms of running, you know, maybe running with some people if you can, if it's safe, if you got some some running partners, things like that. Um, but if none of those things are working, then then the next best suggestion is to just take a, take a break. Um, that that tends to work for me sometimes if I really get in a rut. And thankfully, it's been a while since I've gotten into a, into a good a good funk like that. But like taking a week, taking two weeks, and just like. I am not running for the next two weeks, period. Usually by the end of that two weeks, like I'm chomping at the bit. There we go, drink. I'm chomping at the bit uh, to, to get out for a run again because I haven't done it for two weeks. Um, so sometimes that absence makes the heart grow fonder thing is, is very true, very true. Um, so that might be worth a, sh- worth, a, worth a shot, You know, depending on where you are in terms of races and things like that you're committed to. Uh, maybe it doesn't work as well right now, but maybe it's, it's just take a week off. Take a long weekend. Don't do a long run for a, a week. Uh, you know, do a, do a run on Monday and Tuesday, take the rest of the week off and get back to it the next Monday. Maybe that would be enough. But if you're in a, depending on how deep your funk is, you might need more than that. So, you know, sometimes better to, to kind of take that two weeks now and get, get excited to run again, as opposed to try to keep forcing it, keep powering through. And then you get somewhere, you know, two months from now, you're just like the hell with it. I'm done with it. And you don't run for six months. Like that's, that's not an ideal situation. Right? So, uh, maybe maybe a little bit of a break is what's is what you need right now um, because sometimes and like i said i've i've experienced this a couple times that's 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 plenty like a couple week break, and I am ready to go again and i 'm good for for years sometimes so might be might be worth thinking about last question from the man with two first names, Jason Dennis. Three weeks after a marathon PR, I have my first 24 hour running event, which is one mile every 15 minutes, as long as you can go, which for me is probably going to be somewhere between 30 and 50 miles, maybe a bad idea, but I signed up for it months ago with friends after a week of recovery. How do I prepare? Um, Honestly, Jason, like don't overthink this one. Like there's, there's nothing you're going to do in two weeks. that's going to like prepare you for this more so than you're already prepared right? Like you just ran a freaking marathon and you ran it faster than you've ever run one before. So you've got some good fitness, just kind of run, run a normal week or so run a normal 10 days and then take a few days to kind of lay low and taper a little bit and then go for it. Like your fitness, your fitness is what your fitness is at this point. There's no workouts. There's no things you're going to do right now. That's going to like prepare you more. that's going to have you more physically ready than you already are. So if you try to do too much though, you could become less physically ready. By trying to overdo it, so don't overthink it. Don't try to. There's no magical workouts that you're going to do now. Um, you'd rather go into that 24 hour event rested than already fatigued. So you know, just kind of a normal, normal week or ten days of running, a few days of taper, and get after it. Get after it. See how it goes. Good luck to you though. That'll be a that'll be a fun challenge. Something that's kind of on my my list ish of of someday we'd like to do is a timed event. Um, and that sounds like it would be a a, a decent challenge. One mile every 15 minutes. That's that's kind of intense. So good luck. I hope it goes well for you. And that, my friends, is that. And it looks like if I don't if I don't screw this up, we'll get in, in under two hours. Not much under two hours, but we'll get in in under two hours. So uh, that's that's this month's Q and A. Uh, what what do you think? What did I get right? What did I get wrong? What uh, did I not? make any sense about it all let me know at DizRuns on twitter at DizRuns on instagram you can also send an email to disruns at gmail.com and of course you can head over to the show notes for today's episode which you can get to at com slash 929 uh there's not a meme or a gif for every question but there's a meme or a gif for most of them so uh you know as per usual i put more time and effort into those stupid memes and gifs than uh than i probably should but if you want to go check them out go check them out if not you eh, know you know ain't no, ain't no thing uh, but all that stuff is there at disruns.com slash There's also a couple links, uh, to past posts, things that we've talked about before resources, things like that, where it makes sense. Uh, and then there's also the comment section down at the bottom where you can, again, tell me what I got, right? What I got wrong, what I made absolutely no sense about it all. Um, but I just love hearing from you. So let me know. And, uh, with that, Gordon, this is about the point where I'm shifting, shifting that audio, right. To make it line up so that it finishes up when, as soon as I say y'all thank you for listening uh, if you want to get your questions answered next month disruns.com slash facebook is the link click to join we'll let you in and until next time y'all please be well have a good day you, a let me start that one over because let me and I have to re-edit the, the audio file now right uh, y'all be well thank you thanks again for listening uh, take care of yourselves talk soon and uh, boy I've been going so long I can't even say my, my normal outro situation anyway that's, I'm not even going to try anymore Have a good one. Thanks for listening. Talk soon. See you guys.